So one thing about me is that I am now of the age where I can say I can't remember if. Um, in truth, though, uh, when I was in my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, and my 50s, I could also make that same, same statement that I, I, I really don't remember if. Uh, and so let me begin this morning. I don't remember if I actually used this as an illustration before. And if I have, as I've told you before, suck it up and deal with it. Um, uh, it fits what we're trying to talk about this morning. So there was this uh, period within the church in the United States where we really made a shift. We said, you know, business leaders are learning all about the art and uh, just the content of, of what really helps a leader to function well. And so I went to a number of the conferences, and somewhere along the line, I heard this illustration. And it had to do with knowing what an organization did. And so the the story goes that there's this CEO of a drill company, and he has the various leaders of that company together in a conference room, and, and, uh, and she asks them that, what is it that we do? What is it that we do? And so everyone, you know that feeling, everyone's like, oh, I don't want to get this wrong. <laughs> it seems kind of obvious. Maybe someone didn't have their coffee this morning, or uh, and so they start thinking, and finally a brave person just speaks up and states the obvious. Well, we, we make drills. And then somebody else jumped on thinking, okay, I'm going to top this. I'm going to be the one with the right answer. We make really good drills. And then they started to add adjectives and swap adjectives around, all around the idea of making drills. And of course, the CEO finally, she says to the group, you know, what what we really do is we make holes. Because if somebody else comes up with a better way of making holes that doesn't rely on a drill, we are out of business. Knowing what we do for any organization is vitally important. Otherwise, there's that opportunity to, to start emphasizing that part which is not as great of a priority as something else. So when it comes to a church... What does a church do? Well, I think some people look at a church and they think that, you know, churches build. They build buildings. There's all kinds of buildings. Christians spend so much money on buildings. That's what Christians do. That's what the church does. They build buildings. Other people will look at a church and they'll come to the conclusion, you know what churches do? They keep traditions. They keep traditions. That, you know... Nowhere else in society do we really see people uh, embracing the music that their grandparents' grandparents embraced. But churches, you can walk in and, and there will be an instrument like an organ and people will be singing these songs that, that Jesus didn't sing, but their grandparents' grandparents sung and, and they must be, keep, that's what they do. They keep traditions alive. Other people look at churches and think, you know what Christians do? You know what churches do? They argue. They argue a lot. Or they broker power, maybe for this political agenda or for that political agenda. Maybe churches exist simply, this is their what, they, this is what they do. They judge others, and they do it well. Maybe what churches do is they do good. It turns out that on a good day, on a good day, when we set ourselves aside, we, we came up with some statement that 
we said, you know, this is what we are about. This is what we do, uh, what we're called to do. We're currently in a series that you see the slide on for right now that we're in a series called This Is Us. This is us. It's taking a look at those statements that we set aside on that good day some years ago. In fact, if you open up your program, you're going to find a half sheet of paper that has an opportunity for sermon notes on one side, and on the other side are all the statements that we've been exploring. And so we talked about our why. Our why. Why do we exist? And so on that good day, we said we exist to represent the love of Christ. And if you're interested in pursuing more of that, you can simply go back in our sermon series. And the first sermon in this series uh, explored um, our why. And then we said, you know, well, what do we value? What are the habits that we really want to make sure are a part of us? In fact, these are the habits that define us. We have already said in our practice that these things are important to us. And so the habits of that we're a caring community. We want to keep that habit going. We value caring for each other. That we're faithful to Christ. We value that as an as a ongoing habit in our congregation or that we trust in God. Our three habits, our three def- defining values. And then, and we haven't included this in the sermon series except by reference, but we talk about it every Sunday morning, is that our how, our how is, this is the way we move forward. We move in. In order to move forward, we know we need, are called to move in. And we move in by building friendships that minister the love of Christ to each other. That we move up, that we are transformed, that God transforms us as we learn and live God's Word. Our job is to learn and live God's Word, trusting that God will transform us. That's how we move up. And that we move out by serving our neighbor with genuine agape care or genuine agape love. That kind of love that Jesus had. That's our how. Well, this morning we are going to talk about our what. And here it is. Our what is this. We reveal the kingdom of God through worship, teaching, fellowship, and mission. Just a quick word about the, the last four pieces in that second half. The, the, the idea of worship, teaching, uh, fellowship, and mission. It would be hard to find a church that doesn't say, yeah, we do those things too. We, we put on worship services. We, um, we have classes. We, we do classes. We like p- people being in the Word of God. We, we have fellowship events. And in fact, we reach out to the uh, people outside of the church and, and those especially in facing hardships, and, and we do mission. We, we bring the gospel and our words and our acts towards other people. Do you know it's possible, and maybe you've met the same kind of folks that I've met, it's possible to do worship and really never talk a whole lot about Jesus. It's possible. I know people who have spent their life learning God's Word and teaching other people God's Word, and yet they haven't really changed over the past decade or two. It's possible to do these things that we think a church is called to do, this worship teaching or discipleship, uh, fellowship and mission. It's possible to do those things and not really be aligned with the very heart of God. And so on that good day, some time ago, 
this church, the session of this church said, you know what, we don't just do those things. Here's what we do through those things. We prioritize revealing the kingdom of God. That we exist, or we, this is our what, that we reveal the kingdom of God. So we're going to talk about that this morning. Our passage happens to be Romans chapter 14, verses 17 and 18. And if you're participating on home, make sure you have your Bible with you. Uh, we'll be looking at a number of passages, and um, we'll put them up on the screen as well. And, and uh, if you want, there's Bibles in the rows here in this room. Romans 14, verses 17 and 18. Hear the word of God. Paul writes, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. May God bless the reading of his word. May God bless us as well as we come under his word today. All right, so we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. We've actually talked about the kingdom of God many times over the past nine years. We even had an extended sermon series where all we focus on uh, were the teachings that Jesus had regarding the kingdom of God. In fact, for Jesus, it's hard to understand Jesus at all without grappling with his teaching and his acts in affirmation of the kingdom of God. Um, in the Synoptic Gospels, so that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The kingdom of God is a, a very common phrase. In Matthew, it's actually kingdom of heaven, but Matthew, because of his, the folks he's writing to and all, uses that term, and, and Mark and Luke will use kingdom of God, but it's the same thing. Or at least the meaning, the intent's the same thing. Well, when we get to the Gospel of John, what we find, he talks a lot about eternal life. But when you look at the teachings that, that eternal life and the way that Jesus in John's Gospel talks about eternal life, there's a lot of commonality between the teachings there on the eternal life and the teachings about the kingdom of God. When you get to Paul, he spends a lot of time talking about salvation. And that's a very common word for Paul. But the way he te- talks about salvation, that there is connection very much so with what we find in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, regarding the kingdom of God. So we're talking about the kingdom of God. Just to give you a little bit of a sense of the priority of this in those Gospels, let's take a look at a couple of the passages. In Matthew 4, 17, so this is setting up. There was some preliminary activity taking place in those first uh, three and a half chapters, and we get to Matthew 4, 17. And from there we hear, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This becomes a, 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 a theme that really then sets the course for the rest of the gospel. That this is laying out, here's what Jesus is all about. You want to know what Jesus is all about? Let's tell you right up front. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you again, and I'll tell you what I told you. And here it is, it's telling that, that this is what Jesus is. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In just a few verses down from that, in verse 23 of Matthew 4, it says, And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. In, in other words, living out the kingdom as well. 
When we turn to Mark's gospel, we find in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, that similar thing. It says there, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is at, is at hand. Again, a theme statement for the rest. When we, look at, when we look at Luke's gospel, we even find it in the birth narrative. So the story of Jesus' birth it comes out in those first couple of chapters of Luke's gospel. We find in the words from the angel to Mary, talking about Jesus, the child she's going to have. We, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There's already this, this laying out the groundwork. You've been having this expectation that God would send the anointed one, the Messiah, and that he would come into this world. The one you're carrying, Mary, this is that one. The king is arriving and with him will come his kingdom. Then later in, in chapter 4, we find what we have found in the other gospels so far. But Jesus said to them, this is verse 43 of chapter 4, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, to be a church that stands for Jesus Christ and to not know anything about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God would be to miss Jesus so much. For this is the thing he talked about. This is the thing he demonstrated in this world. So how about you? How about me? When we think about being the church in this world, how quickly does that come to mind? What number of thought is that? How far down, does, down the list do we get before we get to, you know what, it's all about the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom of God. And how much do we know about the kingdom of God that we could be able to represent it in any conversation that we had with anybody in the world? The kingdom of God. Well, we're going to make a few notes about the kingdom of God this morning. Let's first talk about what the kingdom is not. The kingdom is not. Here we know this. The kingdom of God is not the church. The church is not the kingdom of God. That in this world, we have had a church ever since the Holy Spirit came upon those uh, first followers of Jesus after Jesus ascended to be with the Father and the church was born. It came into life. And over the course of history, the church has existed in all kinds of different forms. The church is not the same as the kingdom of God. We can have a church that is, and you've seen it, we've already mentioned it, that can be devoid of God altogether. We can have churches that pursue all kinds of different agendas. The church happens to be an institution. It, it, it's, a, it's a people. We know that in our heart. We know that in, in wisdom that it's a people. It's not a building, and yet it, be, can, it can very easily become an institution with all kinds of programs and administration. The church is not the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. We can also make this statement. The kingdom of God is not the body of Christ. The kingdom of God is not the body of Christ. The body of Christ is that group of people that have all welcomed the grace of God into their lives. That group of people who have said, Jesus is the king and I want to follow him. I choose to follow him. I, I yield my life to 
Jesus Christ, who is my Lord and my Savior, this, this one of God, the second person of the Trinity who came into this world, died on a cross, rose from the dead, and now reigns from on high, and I am, through him, a child of God. That's the body of Christ. The body of Christ, but that's not the kingdom of God. The body of Christ gets to live in the kingdom of God, but it's not a one-to-one correspondence. So what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of God is the diverse, sovereign rule of God. Not diverse, the dynamic, the dynamic, sovereign rule of God. The dynamic, sovereign rule of God. What do we mean by the word dynamic? Well, scholars will use this word dynamic in order to be able to say it's not a geographical kingdom. It's not a political kingdom only. It is this dynamic. It, it, it's alive and active. It, it's, it's all over. It knows no boundaries. It's wherever God's rule is breaking out, wherever it is being shown. The kingdom of God, the dynamic sovereign rule of God. Okay, so if that's what the kingdom is, is it accessible right now? You know, that's actually been a big question as to when did it arrive? When will it arrive? There were different understandings, different uh, uh, perceptions of, is this only in a future sense? Is, is the kingdom of God only future? Or is the kingdom of God supposed to be only in the here and now, and in, in something that is supposed to be brought about through our actions? Those are big questions for the people of God over the centuries. Here's what we've come to understand through Scripture. And by the way, I am going to use one of my charts on the screens. You knew that before I took off, I'd put another, some kind of diagram up on the screen. And, and those of you that love diagrams, you're going, yes, one more. And those of you that hate diagrams are going, geez, thank goodness, this is one of the last ones. But let's start with this. Let's start with three important events that have happened in the course of history. We've got um, the fall. I've represented, I don't know if you can see, you can see it up on the screen. I've represented by an apple right? Because it was the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. By the way, it wasn't an apple. Apples have gotten, gotten like a hard, a hard word on this. That they've just been thrown in there as the diagram. But if you happen to type in the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil into your search bar in Google and look at the images, you don't really get something you can put on a chart like this. So we went with an apple. Then there is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, the crucifixion of Christ. And then finally, we have the return of Christ. And I use a cloud for that because uh, he'll, come, uh, he'll come in the sky amidst, amidst the clouds. So these three events, the fall, when, when Adam and Eve, that first couple, when humanity chose to go their way instead of God's way, we have Jesus dying on the cross that his death would be in our stead, that he would pay the price so we wouldn't have to, that through him we would receive the grace and forgiveness of God. And then we have his return, when all things will be made new, a new heaven and new earth. Okay, let's just talk about the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this world came into being when that first couple ate of the fruit of the knowledge of uh, uh, good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Essentially, what they did is they chose their way over God's way, and with that, there, be, there came this break in the fellowship. Before that, they were living in the dynamic sovereign rule of God. That's all that existed. 
And then in this, in this breaking with God, in the breaking of the fellowship, when they said, you know what, the serpent knows something here. I'm drawn to this choice. I'm going to step outside of God's desire for me, and I'm going to eat of this fruit and go my way instead of his way. And the kingdom of this world began. Now we know from the Old Testament that in the midst of the kingdom of this world, God chose a nation and said, you know, I'm going to have a political kingdom, a, a geographic kingdom. You people are going to be a beacon to the rest of the world that the rest of the nations will be able to look upon you and know something about what it is to have a relationship with me. But we know how that turned out, that it could have been any of us in their situation, that so full was that break, so full was the fall, that, that being a beacon consistently was just not what they could do. And so in comes Jesus. And here's what happens with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. With his death and resurrection, he had been talking about this. He had said, listen, it's at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. God has been telling you about this through his prophets. The kingdom of God is at hand. And with his death and resurrection, he inaugurates the kingdom of God. He begins it. He, he it previously existed in, the, in before the fall. It's always existed. But here now through Jesus Christ, it becomes available through faith. That faith in God through Jesus Christ allows us to live within the kingdom of God. So we happen to live, and we've talked about this before, we live in the already. It means, what that means is that we live in a time where there's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. It means that life is messy. That there's always this temptation to be more of the kingdom of this world than of the kingdom of God. And that God calls us just fully be in, just buy into, understand you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and not of this earth. Yes, live in this earth and be a witness for Christ, but our citizenship is with God in heaven. So, in this already not yet, because the not yet is the time when the kingdom of this world will no longer be. In this time, we are called to be God's people. Our what? Our what? is to reveal God's kingdom as we live in the kingdom of this world. That is the what of the church. All right, so then it might be helpful if we know something of the kingdom's character. The kingdom's character. All right, so if you had to write a paper real quickly or a paragraph or you had to give a five-minute talk on, on the character of the kingdom of Putin, the, the reign of Vladimir Putin in Russia, you could probably put some words together. You give some kind of description of the character of, of that kingdom. If you happen to give a, a, a little talk on the reign of Jacinda Ardern from New Zealand, and maybe you followed her career when she was prime minister there, and some of the qualities of what she was living out at that, uh, during her uh, time in office, and you could say some words about the character. Let's put it this way. What if you had a kingdom and you were to bring your character to that kingdom? Not, not the kind of character you would like to aspire to, but what would that kingdom be like if you brought your character right now and introduced it to that kingdom? What would that paragraph sound like? Well, God's, God's kingdom has a character. And the full discussion of that character is beyond the scope of our time this morning. Let me just say a couple words to it. Here are some of the characteristics. Jesus spoke about it in parables because there's something a little mysterious about it. And, 
And those who would understand the parables, they, they would know, and outsiders, they would struggle to know. Something a little mysterious about it. There was this one conversation he was having with some folks, and, and they wanted to know what would be the signs, what is it going to look like when the kingdom of God comes? They were expecting, will there be uh, chariots coming over this ridge line, or, or, or will God, what will God's works be in this world so we know when it comes? And Jesus said, wait, it, the kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God is, is within you. It's within you. It's not this outside coming in. It's going to be within you. God's rule, his dynamic, sovereign rule will be within you. Some translations will have among you, but if, I believe if you look at the, at, at the use of the words elsewhere and what we know of historical Greek, that, that to say that it is within you makes good sense. The kingdom of God will be known for its forgiveness and mercy it's going to have wheat and chaff in it. Jesus described it this way, that, that there will be people who believe in the kingdom and live according to it, and yet there will be people who don't. But don't take time now to separate the wheat from the chaff. Let it exist there. There will come a time, a time at his return where all that work will be done, but for now it will be messy. It's going to be immense, but it will grow slowly. It'll be known for its upside-down approach to power. If you want to be the greatest, be the least. Be the servant of all. The kingdom of God. And then we come to our passage, Romans 14, 17. Romans 14, 17. And we have in these words, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In this section of Romans, there, Paul is talking... Uh, to the believers, and he describes the weak and uh, the strong. He describes the weak and the strong. So the weak are the people who are struggling with the freedom that they have in Jesus Christ. And so they're still feeling very connected to food laws, and they don't want to break these food laws. It's still very much a part of their faith practice. And then there are people who understand just the, the amazing freedom that they had through the grace of God, and that it, it isn't about food laws, it's about following Jesus Christ. And Paul referred to those as the strong. He goes, listen, to those who of you are strong, you have a good understanding of your freedom in Jesus Christ. You need to be really mindful of the weak and come alongside them in a much better, much healthier way than what you have been doing. And so he says to them, it's not a matter of drinking and eating. Don't beat up your, your weaker brothers and sisters because the kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here's what, is, uh, what I find so interesting about use, choosing to use these three words here for Paul. First of all, righteousness is big for Paul. All three of these words, we, we can find in Scripture that these are things given to us and these are things we're called to do. In the kingdom of God, in the dynamic sovereign rule of God, we are given righteousness, peace, and joy. In fact, when Paul even talks about righteousness, that, that God looks at us through the lens of Jesus, and when he looks at us through the lens of Jesus, everything that's right about Jesus is applied to our account, and everything that, that is messed up or that is sinful in our life is applied to the count of Christ on the cross righteousness. We're given it. We're told that the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit working in us, includes peace, shalom, fullness, and joy. And yet we're called to these things. We're called to reach out to our brothers and our sisters with the very rightness of God. 
that we would seek each other's well-being as God sees our well-being, as God understands our well-being. That we would offer one another peace, that we would be peacemakers with each other, that we would share joy as we give and receive peace from one another. That one company said, at least in this story, here's what we do, we make holes. Here's what we said on a good day. We work at righteousness, peace, and joy. In other words, to reveal the kingdom of God is to live in a way with each other and with others in a righteous way, in a way that makes for peace and shalom and fullness, in a way that that cultivates joy in our relationships and our experience in life. And not on a worldly scale, not on a comparative worldly scale, but on God's own scale. Now, this would be a great place uh, to end this sermon. In fact, wiser people would simply end this sermon right here and give a a conclusion, but but I only have this and next week, so (laughs) we're going to keep going. Um, All right, if that's the kingdom's character, if that's the kingdom's character, maybe a word or two about the kingdom's subjects. The kingdom's subjects. If we're going to reveal it, what do we need to know about ourselves and about others that are a part of this kingdom? Jesus makes this statement. We find it at least in Luke 18, 17, but it's elsewhere. He says, unless you receive the kingdom like a child, you will never enter it. Like a child, one who is dependent upon others. Like a child whose, whose humility is just, is just in them. Like a child whose heavenly father will, will pick that child up as his, his own dear child and celebrate him. And we come into the kingdom through Jesus Christ. But unless we come like a child, we'll never enter it. To reveal the kingdom of God is to reveal a place that's not built on, on whether you have the same color of skin or you've got these strengths or these these skills or, or this history or this economic income, to receive the, the kingdom of God is to be like a child, dependent upon God. To be a church that reveals that is to welcome people, not because of the strength that they bring to us, but because of their reception of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We're also told that if you're going to be a, king, a child of the kingdom, it is a step of repentance and of believing. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. When you come to know the love of God, would you repent and choose instead of going, I'm going to keep doing my thing and I'll kind of do God's thing and we'll kind of, we got an agreement. Instead, it's a, a repent, God, everything that's of the kingdom of the world, I just repent of that. I, I go your way instead of my way. And I put my faith in you not in myself, not in my nation, not in my political party, not in, in my structure, not in my wealth. I put my faith and dependence in you. You could look at the Beatitudes. You could look at the, the story of the great banquet. You could look at all kinds of different things to find out the kingdom's subjects. We're to be righteous peacemakers who spread joy. Look at uh, chapter, Romans chapter 14, verse 18. The second part of our, of our verse, of our passage Whoever thus serves Christ, whoever serves with righteousness, peace, and joy, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. 
This is what God looks for. By the way, here's where I would take a little bit of issue with, with Paul. I go, Paul, how did that work out for you? And we have evidence in Scripture that not everybody approved of Paul. And so even if you choose to go God's way all the time and act out with righteousness and peace and joy, it doesn't always mean that even people within the church will celebrate that. But we do know this. We do know that God looks at it and goes, yes, well done, good and faithful servant. All right, that's the kingdom subject. This would be a great spot to end the sermon. One more word. The kingdom's worth. Oh my gosh, the kingdom's worth. The kingdom's worth. It's not a have to, it is a get to. You know these stories. If you've been in the church at all for any length of time, you've probably heard these stories before. They're little parables that Jesus offers. We find them, at least the ones we'll be quoting from this morning, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, beginning in verse 44. Here's the parable of the hidden treasure. Jesus said, you want to know something about the kingdom of heaven? It's like a guy who's walking along, and in the midst of a field, he, he finds this treasure, stumbles upon it. And he goes and he sells everything he had so he could buy the field, so the treasure could be his. Do you get the sense of the worth? Here's a person who's not really looking for it, just happens upon it, finds it, and goes, I'd give up everything to have this treasure. Then he tells the, the, um, the parable of the merchant, and the, the, also known as the parable of the, uh, of the great pearl, or the pearl of great value. Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Here, this is somebody looking, looking. What is truth? Where do I find answers? What, what is the big scheme of all of humanity? And the person finds it and finds it in Jesus Christ and says, this is so good. This kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, the dynamic sovereign rule of God is so good. I give up everything else that I might be a part of God's kingdom through Jesus Christ. It's of ultimate worth. So Northminster, what is that we do? And so church, what is it that we do? We reveal. We reveal not some just institutional thing. We reveal not just a set of worship services or a set of fellowship activities or some programs or how skilled we are at teaching God's Word. Here's what we reveal. This is what we do. We reveal the kingdom of God. When we put youth programs together, we look, how do we reveal the kingdom of God through this youth program? When we gather for worship, we want to say, how do we worship together? We worship in a way that reveals the kingdom of God to a lost world that needs to know the good news of Jesus Christ, that needs to live and experience the dynamic rule of the sovereign Lord, the, the dynamic sovereign rule of God. What do we do? We reveal the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God who uh, blesses and that you move in and through Jesus Christ and that you establish your rule and nothing can overcome your rule. We thank you for sending Christ into this world that we would have new life through him, that we would become citizens of the kingdom, of your kingdom. We pray now that you would be with us as we approach this table, as we share together in the body and the blood of Christ. 
Thank you that as we gather together in your name that you are here with us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.